Hi, and welcome back to a special edition of Game Time Podcast with your host, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dwight. So, we did just do a podcast a couple days ago, but hours after that finished, the Jamal Adams blockbuster trade broke, so we figured we have to do another podcast just in honor of this monster trade. Who won the trade? What does it mean for both these respective teams going forward? So let's start discussing this trade on game time. Shy joining us virtually right now, as he did a couple of days ago. So, Shy, we won't know who won this trade until, I don't know, 2025. But let's just have fun with it. Immediate reaction and your immediate winner. Obviously, we won't really truly know who won it until, you know, five, six years down the road when we know Adams' contract situation and these draft picks pan out or don't pan out for the Jets. Yeah, so my my first reaction was just surprise, shock. I think um, I was just expecting the Jets to really hold fast in the situation, um, which I was frankly impressed with, but... I think they got an offer that they felt like they weren't gonna they weren't gonna get an offer that was better, and they just pulled the trigger on it. Um, at first, I was thinking, you know, I think this would really help Seattle's defense. I, most people were looking at it from the Jets, Jets' perspective, like two first round picks for a strong safety, even of Adams caliber. That's got to be a win for the Jets with not a ton of leverage there. I agree, but I think it's just as much of a win, if not more so, for the Seahawks. Um, those two first-round picks, one, are going to be fairly high up there. Uh, so, yeah, they're two first-round picks. Probably in the mid to low 20s, maybe even in the 30s if they go on a Super That's Bowl run. Thank you for clarifying. Um, but you're also getting the best strong safety in the game. and It's really not much of a debate there. Uh, this is a guy that's proven um, for three years. He's been great. Uh, he he lit, he lit it up in the stat sheets. I'll share some, share some stats with you later after Alex gives his take. But I think we could see this defense soar to a top 10 unit uh, next year, this one edition of Adams. That's how big I think he was. Um, he's definitely the, by far the best player on that Jets team, on that Jets defense, and he was really able to carry them. Um, he, knows, he knows exactly when to shoot the gap. He's great in coverage. I, I really like this trade for Seattle, and we were just talking about this earlier. One that one pass rusher, that pass rush, need a couple of solid pass rushers. They'll be right up there. What do you think? We well, are yeah, kind of going to what you are referring to as almost the Legion of Boom. Although they were really built in the secondary, they had great pass rushers like a Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, to really complement that secondary, get pressure on the quarterback and make him force the quarterback into making uh, mistakes. Now, going back to the trade, again, the details. The Seahawks are acquiring safety Jamal Adams and a fourth-round pick in 2022, and in return, they are shipping two first-round picks to the Jets, along with a third-rounder this year and safety Bradley McDougal. So, obviously, we don't know how these picks are going to pan out. And that's going to be the biggest question when determining, again, years down the road, who really did win or lose this trade. But at first glance, to get two first-rounders and then some for, as I said, he's a great player, 
but he is a safety, and I understand he has, he's very versatile. I believe six and a half sacks, seven passes defended. He's he's a very versatile player, Jamal Adams is, but he is a, still a safety. And when you're lining up all the positions in terms of which position is most valuable and which position is least valuable, the position of safety, strong and or free safety, is not going to fall that high on the list. You have your quarterback. That's right up there. Obviously, a left or even a right tackle, a pass rusher. So I thought it was an incredible job by Jets GM Joe Douglas to field not one, but two first-round picks, another mid-round pick, and another about a league average safety for, look, Jamal Adams, in my opinion, is the best safety in the league. This is not a slight on Jamal Adams. This is just an incredible return. And when I saw the news break, and I just saw Jets are shipping Jamal Adams to Seattle, I was thinking, did Seattle give up that second first-round pick? Because although it did seem unlikely the Jets would give away Jamal Adams, I was wondering if they were offered another first-round pick, two first-round picks, they would have a, they would have had no choice but to accept that deal. That's what they did. Look, those first-round picks aren't going to be top 10 unless a catastrophic injury happens to, I don't know, Russell Wilson. But I still think you get a first-round pick. I, it's still a pretty high premium pick. You're building around a young quarterback in Sam Darnold where you can build at more premium positions. Offensive line, defensive end, even a linebacker. You really need to build around Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's going to his third year. I kind of consider that fourth year more make or break, especially now with Darnold having mono and last year kind of was a full disaster. So this year I think is an important year, but I wouldn't quite say say make or break for Darnold. Now kind of going to the Seahawks side of things, for me this team is a Super Bowl contender. I understand they didn't even win the division last year, but they were an inch away from winning the division and even sweeping the 49ers, who almost won the Super Bowl. So this is a Super Bowl contender, and when you are a Super Bowl contender, you do make these type of moves where you trade draft picks for star players. And Jamal Adams is a star player, I just don't know how much of an impact does he make where the Seahawks were already a very good team. Does he really... Does Jamal really take the Seahawks to the next level? I don't think so. He's a great player, and I think he will greatly help that defense, but I really don't know if he can transform, completely transform that defense into making it top tier to go along with, at least in my opinion, the second best quarterback in football. Yeah, definitely some great points there. Um, I just want to share some statistics from, for Jamal Adams, just so you guys can really evaluate more for yourselves. And Very versatile player. That's what I, from the statistics. That's what you. Re- that's my biggest takeaway when I look at sacks, turnovers, or you know passes defended. What I really my biggest takeaway is the versatility that he brings. So yeah, maybe he is a little more than a safety, but I still don't think even as versatile as he is, I still don't think he plays a position that is super valuable. Well, I think his ver- so you said he is a strong safety, obviously not the most valuable position, but I think that versatility makes him more valuable. His ability to go in the box, shoot those gaps. Um, we see he had 
10 tackles for a loss last season, 13 quarterback hits, all right? Uh, a ton of tackles, around 75 combined tackles, 61 solo tackles. She said six and a half sacks, uh, two forced fumbles, seven pass defense, and as, his missed tackle percentage uh, is 5.1%. Very low. Look, I agree with you that his versatility does make him a more valuable player than the standard free or strong safety. I agree with you there. But even when you bake in that versatility to his position, I mean, still you're maybe talking about a linebacker or or him even with what a linebacker is worth. And look, a linebacker is definitely, at least in my mind, more valuable. But a linebacker still doesn't crop, uh, crack that top tier when you have the quarterback, a pass rusher, a tackle, even an elite cornerback. When you have that elite cornerback, that completely changes the game uh, for an offense because you have that cornerback and shut down the number one receiver. And Jamal Adams, he's played some cornerback, but he's still not really a you, cornerback. Well, I think you've seen a matchup against some tight ends. Um, he's not going to yeah. take the number one receiver away. You, he, you know, the Seahawks are going to face DeAndre Hopkins now twice a year with him in Arizona. He's not going to complete Kittle. George Kittle. But going back to Hopkins, he's not going to shut down DeAndre Hopkins twice a game. That's not what he's going to do. Okay. Well, let me. Speaking of pass coverage, no, I don't want to cut you off there. But I have some. But he's. Look, he might be very good in pass coverage, but he's not facing the number one receiver. It's totally yeah, different I, if he I, were. So you have to take right, you have to take these stats with a grain of salt. Right, I agree. But obviously, being a safety, um, you cover more of an air, uh, area of the field most of the time rather than a specific man. So it's definitely important to take into account. This is something some things from uh, Pro Football uh, Reference. Um, Jamal Adams last season receiving yards allowed on completions one eighty seven on a completion percentage of. 55. So that's very that's very low, um, Alex. Although you were saying not a corner of safety, but I th- again, when he's matching up, he's he's very good. Another thing is also on uh, Profogo reference, they have a statistic approximate value. Now, there's a lot of, it basically is approximate value for each player um, to their team. Right, so Jamal Adams' approximate value is ranked 13. So, for some context, Aaron Donald' approximate value 15 to this team. Now, I don't want to compare the best. Defense yeah, I mean, look, I think, that, but I want to give you some little more context of just how valuable he was for the Jets team, that impact he can make. Go ahead, Alex. I just think that's that showing Aaron Donald less than Jamal Adams. I I can't. I can't no, take no, that. It's ranked higher, so fifteen approximate value. Do you want the stat to be higher? So oh, I, I thought you meant he was thirteenth ranked and Donna was fifteenth ranked. No, sorry. Oh, my bad, my bad. The, the higher the number, the more approximate value. So oh, I see. Okay, so I guess that that does make that does make a little more sense. I still think though, Aaron Donald is the best non-quarterback in football, and. You know, I don't think Jamal Adams is anywhere close to his level. So that's why I definitely think that stat is still a little iffy. Look, 
Jamal Adams played a big role in that Jets team. I'm not denying that. I'm just thinking two first round picks. I don't I don't think he's worth that. I mean, we saw Khalil Mack who plays outside linebacker, pass rusher. He completely transformed that Bears defense, but even before he was always in the conversation from defensive player in the year, year in, year out. He was in the conversation with Aaron Donald in his Raider days for best defensive player. And there, the return that the Raiders got for Aaron Donald is very similar to what the Jets got for Jamal Adams. And again, in my opinion, and I get, you know, if you want to disagree, that's fine. But in my opinion, I feel like Cleo Mack is a much more valuable player, and his impact on the field will be felt greater by the offense than what Jamal Adams does on the field. I agree with that, but I think just sort of that metric there, obviously you can't compare the best defensive player in football, but that versatility that Adams brings, I think allows him to make more of an impact in different ways. I think... It will help um, help with the Seattle defensive line, which isn't that strong right now. Because he's very good at shooting the gaps, getting in for tackles of loss, tackles for loss. I think he's he's very he can cover tight ends. You've seen that well. He's, he can play well in coverage when he drops back. He can do a lot of different things. And although he's no pass rusher, he's no Aaron Donald clear man. I think that one as a one thing I want to point out is the return that you're talking about the Khalil Mack trade. I think that they were assuming the Bears were not going to be very good. They were a lower echelon team then. They did have a breakout year that year. A lot of, a lot of part due to Khalil Mack. But then this year, we saw them really, really hit a large slope of regression. So I think the value of that trades a little bit more. Now, proportionally, who did a better job? The Jets did because they got a similar amount of value. It's definitely a good trade for the Jets. But the Seattle Seahawks are getting a player they can plug in and make an immediate impact and driving this team uh, probably, in, in my opinion, into a top 10 spot, uh, a defensive ranking. Just so many things he can do and how well he does it at the best uh, at that position. I also think for the Jets, with all the Adams hoopla and his being very outspoken, to say the least, Joe Douglas and the New York Jets had no leverage. And I know it's like, well, he had two years on his deal, and maybe you weren't gonna, you didn't have to trade him now. But I really don't think the Jets had much, if any, leverage. The way Jamal Adams has spoken out against every level of Jets management, and just how he has really made it well known what he thinks of that entire organization. So knowing that Joe Douglas did not have as much leverage as he probably could have if Adams wasn't as outspoken as he was, to still net three top, you know, three picks on day one and day two combined, get a league average safety for a guy who, again, Adams can make a pretty big impact, but I still don't think he makes the impact on a level that warrants the return that Seattle gave up. I just don't think, you know, if I'm a GM, as great as Adams is, I'm, and I know the Seahawks might not be picking in the top 10, top 15, even top 20, 
But if I'm a GM, I'm not giving up that much draft capital for a player of Adams caliber. And look, if Adams was, you know, the best pass rusher or, you know, I don't know, the best left tackle, yeah, it does change. It definitely does change. But because of what Adams does on a field and the position he plays overall, I just don't think it warrants multiple first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a solid, you know, league average safety. And then you factor in, again, the lack of leverage the Jets had. I think Joe Douglas could not have done any better. And I'm, I think Joe Douglas should get all the praise here. And, you know, I was watching ESPN today, and I mean, I believe it was Diana Russini on Get Up. And, you know, she was saying how, you know, she's spoken to many people in the in NFL circles, and a lot of them believe the Jets fleeced the Seahawks. And I'm not I'm not, you know, mixing words or anything. This is what I this is what she was saying this morning and we don't see, we don't normally say that where the Jets fleece a team in a trade, but they you know, they played with the Giants. I mean, they messed up the I'm still angry about that Leonard Williams trade that the Jets and Giants made and Jets won that trade. And now it looks like the Jets are going to win another trade. This organization is, I think, going in a positive place, especially as I I actually just got an alert, and it says that Clowney might be interested in the Jets. So that would would definitely be something. We're not really going to talk about that because obviously that's just stuff going on on Twitter and players interacting with each other, so who knows. But I definitely think with the lack of leverage Joe Douglas had, I think he did a tremendous job. Shy, do you, is there any way Joe Douglas could have done better? Like, I don't think there's any way, any way you draw it up, that Joe Douglas could have done any better than he did. Yeah, I think, I don't think he could have done it much better. Um, you look at trades. Well, but that's my thing. If Joe Douglas could not have done any better... How did? How are you saying the Jets did not win this trade? I don't. I definitely think the Jets got a really good deal here. A really good deal? They got an incredible haul. Don't get me wrong. I think this is a very good trade for the Jets, but I don't think it should be. I'm not considering this at all a loss for the Seahawks. I think it's a good trade for both sides. Maybe even a. I think a great trade for both sides. Um. I'm not going to be hard on the Seahawks here. I, I, I don't want to be redundant, but clearly from the statistics I read and, and my thoughts on Adams and his versatility, I think I really think that he can make a tremendous impact for them and, 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 and really elevate that defense to make that a win-now team. But I think the Jets, I absolutely agree. Um, it looked like they were going to hold fast, which makes sense. I think uh, a single first-round pick for Jamal Adams, especially in that high range, I mean, unless it's from a pretty bad team where you're, you're getting in that top 10 area, doesn't really make sense for me for a player of Jamal Adams' this caliber, uh, even if even if there are some uh, sour relationship issues. But those two first-round picks from Seattle and a third and a, maybe a subpar uh, safety in Bradley McDougal, I definitely think that the Jets, uh, I don't think they could have gotten much better. Uh, maybe very unlikely that they would have. Yeah, and if you're the Jets now, if you're Adam Gase, if you're Greg Williams, if you're any a, a teammate like Le'Veon Bell, 
you don't have to deal with the headache that Jamal Adams was going to bring to training camp if he showed up at all. You don't have to deal with that headache. You don't have to deal with that massive distraction. And then also, now you don't have to pay Jamal Adams the large money deal that he's going to command. Now, maybe not this year, but definitely starting next year. So you don't have to worry about giving out a big extension. You don't have to worry about this huge distraction. You now, all eyes are on Sam Darnold. You can build around Sam Darnold, groom Sam Darnold. Use some of these picks to really help out the talent you know, on the offensive line. I know they just drafted Makai Becton. I don't think that's nearly enough. They signed a bunch of guys, but, you know, and Alex Lewis, that's more of a short-term option. They need more long-term options on that offensive line. And I think that defense, I think they could definitely use another pass rusher. They dra- they still have Quinn and Williams on the interior. So they definitely have the makings of a really good young team. C.J. Mosley, at linebacker. But I definitely think you can use some of those picks you can really build around your young quarterback who, again, I think Darnold has still so much potential to be unlocked. I think I've seen games where he has played really well, and in really each of the last two years, but really last year, the Jets have finished off so strong. That's why I believe that if Darnold can kind of play like he has kind of towards the last third of the season, if he can play like that from day one... I think the Jets definitely can be a successful team in the for in the near future. Maybe not this year, but I definitely think in the next couple, you know, two three years to come, if Donald continues to take that next step and doesn't suffer from mono of all things, I definitely think the Jets can be a somewhat competitive team in the near future. But it's all about Sam Donald. No distractions. You can focus on grooming your young quarterback. I think that's why I really like this deal for the Jets. Because then you also get, you know, obviously the haul was great. But now you just don't have to deal with the distraction. So, Shai, let's talk about the Seahawks now. Not so much Jamal Adams. But how about as a whole, where do you think this team can go? What do you think the ceiling is on this team heading into the 2020-2021 season, if there is one? I think the ceiling is right up at the Super Bowl. I agree. Um, I mean, maybe, I mean, yeah, honestly, I think that is the ceiling. I think it's a, definitely a high ceiling. I don't know how, there's a, there's a, it's a long road ahead. It's a, it's a definitely an uphill climb. A very strong NFC, very strong uh, NFC West. Probably the best division in all football. Yeah. You have 14, you have four teams, all four teams are realistic playoff contenders, in my mind. But I got to agree with you. I would not be surprised if this team is playing in February, if, you know, if any teams are playing in February. I would not be surprised if the Seahawks are playing in the last game in February, and if, assuming and hoping that game is the Super Bowl. This team, led by Russell Wilson, I really like Russell Wilson. Look, Lamar had a tremendous year last year. I'm not bashing Lamar. I'm not going to hate on Lamar. What he did last year was incredible and something that at least I did not expect. But I definitely thought the Baltimore Ravens have a much better team than the Seattle Seahawks. So, look, I'm fine with Lamar winning MVP. 
I definitely thought Russell Wilson should have had some votes, though. I definitely think Russell Wilson, with the talent, or at least almost... I know they have some nice pieces, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, but I really thought what Russell Wilson did with that group of guys was incredible. Almost going into Lambeau Field in the middle of the winter and pulling out that win. I really thought Russell Wilson did enough to at least get some votes, so I thought that was a little bit disrespectful. But I said it earlier. I believe Russell Wilson is the second-best quarterback in the NFL. And people are going to say, oh, Lamar, oh, Breeze, Brady, Rodgers, whatever. But also, I think this. Over the course of a long season, and let's take Mahomes out of this for a second. Mahomes, at least for me and Shai, I'm pretty sure you agree, Mahomes is number one in almost any category. So taking Mahomes out of the equation... I don't think there's a quarterback I'd rather have when you combine a full 16-game season, a playoff run, and then Super Bowl when you really need that game-winning drive. Breeze, Brady, Rodgers, they're clutch, but they've definitely fallen off a bit. Shy, you were nodding your head a lot. You agree that Russell Wilson's the second-best quarterback in our league right now? So usually we don't agree. We'll have heated debates and go back and forth, but I agree completely wholeheartedly. Anyone who says that Russell Wilson is not the second best quarterback in the league is that's just blasphemy, in my opinion. I think you see what he did with that team uh, a pretty mediocre defense, a still a struggling offensive line. Tyler Lockett, yeah, he's a, he's a solid upper, you know, mid tier wide receiver one. DK Metcalf, good as a rookie, but still carrying that team where they were in Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers and a much, much better Packers team. I think it's, Overall team. Packers are much more of a well-rounded team, not just Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, I, they had a good defense last year. I think I, I, I completely agree with you. I think Russell Wilson is fantastic. I think Jamal Adams taking his defense to the next level. I you have Bobby Wagner. Bob, as, Bob great, Wagner. as great as Adams is, Wagner has been that leader of the defense for so many years, so he needs to continue to be that leader, continue to be that guy in the middle of the defense for this for this defense to succeed as great as Adams might be. I just think Russell Wilson has never gotten an MVP vote in his career. And I get it early in his career, great defense, very good run game with Marshawn Lynch. He was more of a game manager then. But I have seen Russell Wilson blossom and grow before my very eyes from a young rookie coming into the league, game manager, just, you know, have a nice drive at the end of the game, convert on third downs to carrying his team, leading his team. You know, he is a superstar in our league right now. And again, maybe other than Patrick Mahomes, if we're doing, and he's 32, so he's not as young as Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, but we're seeing quarterbacks play late 30s, early 40s. If we had a redraft right now, it might be close because of the age, but after Patrick Mahomes goes number one, if I'm sitting there at number two, I'm taking Russell Wilson. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the gap there is is, is decent between Wilson and the rest of the competition. Uh, I think Jackson's probably number three for me, just because of what Eight. he's shown. And he's also very young, as is Deshaun Watson. Yeah, for especially if we're going by complete redraft you usually err on the side of young quarterbacks 
but I feel like Russell Wilson's young enough where you're gonna where you could still get six, seven, eight years. Yeah, but I think we can both agree. Uh, just sort of wrap this trade up because we don't want to. Well, I just want to say one more thing, and I know we're we kind of off track, but before we move into kind of one more uh, our last topic. I feel like you take Lamar off the Ravens and you replace the Ravens with about a league average quarterback. I feel like the Ravens are the Bills. Good defense, good running game. They're the Bills. You take Seattle or you take Russell Wilson off the Seattle Seahawks and put him in a league average quarterback. Are they picking the top ten, top fifteen? I, I, I top I, ten I, might be a little bit of a stretch, but I definitely think there's a definite possibility they're picking in the top fifteen. And they're about a six-seven win football team. I think that's yeah. I think that's about right. But I think uh, someone who I have been getting a lot of credit recently is Pete Carroll. He's done a tremendous job. Uh, Both coaches, really, the Ravens, what they've done with Lamar. Because I don't know if Lamar's game. You know, people are like, oh, I wish you know the Jets drafted Lamar, or I wish this team drafted Lamar. I don't know if Lamar could succeed in any place. So what Greg Roman has done with Lamar and that entire Ravens offense. I think is incredible, uh, and but and Harbaugh's a pretty good coach, and Pete Carroll might be the second or probably even a, maybe third best head coach in the NFL right now. He's definitely up there. So both teams have great coaches. So I want to get into really the big story in the sports world today. The Miami the Miami Marlins currently, and it's a developing story. So these numbers might uh, go up by the time you see you. Uh, listen to this podcast, but as of now, the Miami Marlins have 11 players and two coaches who have tested positive for the coronavirus. They've had a an outbreak. You know, I know MLB-wide, it's not a huge outbreak, but 11 players, it's 30-man rosters with like a three-man taxi squad, which is basically these other three guys are not on the active roster, but, you know, they can go with the team, travel with the team. This the Marlins also just played a road a road series in Philadelphia. Phillies players might have it. Phillies coaches might have it. And also, now that entire visiting clubhouse at Citizens Bank Park, where the Phillies play, is contaminated. The Yankees were supposed to play a game tonight. That game's canceled. Marlins Orioles. That game's canceled. So, shy. What do you think the NFL has to do as MLB and the MLB Player Association? agreed to not have a bubble. MLB was kind of playing with the idea. MLB Player Association and the the entire players shot it down. What do you think the NFL needs to learn from this as it looks like they're not playing in a bubble, especially with the size? Because MLB rosters are, I guess this year they're expanded, so 30-man. But NFL are 53 with practice with a 10-man, and even this year will be 16-man practice squads. What does the NFL have to learn from this? They need to learn to be really, really careful and do their due diligence. Okay, I think when you look at what's happening here, uh, if you're comparing sort of what's happening in the NBA bubble to what's happening with the Miami Marlins outbreak, Major League Baseball, the NBA had there have been a couple of people who have maybe gone out of the bubble, violated some rules, but they've really had no, zero tested positive cases within the bubble. Very nice job, I think, uh, by the NBA and Adam Silver uh, doing their due diligence. But then again, logistically with the NFL, it's very different. You're not going to be able to get all these 
that did not seem out of equipment for each team to keep them in uh, these sort of parameters, seeing their families. And, and again, the more the more players, the harder it is going to be. Um, I think it, the the possibility of a bubble doesn't really seem realistic or likely, but I do think the NFL needs to learn from this to be very strict uh, with protocol uh, and really just prevent these sort of these sort of outbreaks. We've seen how much one uh, of these uh, of, of contamination, one of these outbreaks, on one team can really affect and, and sort of spread and pretty put a whole stoppage uh, on a league. I'm wondering, Shy, and I want to get your thoughts on this idea. MLB decided to have just uh, your schedule is made up just of division opponents and opponents in the corresponding division in the other uh, re in the other league via region. So, as an example, the National League East only plays teams within their division, the NL East, and the NL East will also play games against the AL East. So AL East and NL East all are playing games against each other. Would it make sense for the NFL to maybe almost do three four, three or four different bubbles where you have the NFC, AFC East in one, NFC, AFC North in another, and so on and so forth? Do you think that would make sense? Or at least maybe should they should try that to eliminate travel? I think it's not a bad idea. Um, again, logistically, there are some things they have to figure out, some things they have to adjust in terms of scheduling, I think, to make that work. Um, could it work? Yeah, uh, it, it definitely could. But again, it doesn't seem like something that's super likely or super realistic. Um, I think that's something that may be fought by the players as well, as you sort of see in, in the MLB. But it's definitely an intriguing idea and one that the NFL should not uh, just look over. Yeah, I, you know, I brought up that idea. I, thought it, I think the NFL definitely should look at every possible avenue because you would, you don't obviously you don't want anyone getting the virus, but it's bound to happen, and it's inevitable. You know, say it like it is, it's inevitable. So I think when you're dealing with a global pandemic like we are, as a Operation as a company, it's your job to kind of not leave any stone unturned. So the NFL also came up with this COVID list, a COVID slash kind of reserve list, which is for any player who either has the coronavirus or for a player who has come into contact with the virus and is awaiting test results. Now, it was reported that after nine teams got COVID results, uh, and this nine teams not even full teams it was just rookies quarterbacks and select and some guys who were coming off injuries 12 rookies after nine teams of rookies quarterbacks and select injured players 12 rookies uh were reported to have the coronavirus and look obviously it's not ideal you want to have zero but this should not be a surprise these players have been all over the country they're coming in on planes trade trains all types of public transportation. So I wouldn't worry when you see some of the COVID numbers spike up as players are coming in and doing intake testing. I think the real concern gets is during the season or during training camp when 
players are sweating on each other, breathing on each other, and then flying from, I don't know, like, New York to Seattle, you know, San Francisco to Florida. That's where I think that's what I'll be watching, not so much as players come in. It is interesting, though, as, you know, some of these guys aren't very notable, but I just saw that uh, Vikings rookie receiver Justin Jefferson was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. So I don't know if that means he has the virus. If he does... Uh, hopefully he gets better soon, but I definitely thought that was an, uh, kind of a somewhat big name to land on the list, so I thought I would just point that out. So yeah, we're kind of going to go with a short episode here today on Game Time Podcast. Shy, any last thoughts on the Jamal Adams trade or how the NFL is going to move forward as they need? It's going to be paramount for them watching how MLB deals with their uh, COVID outbreak. Yeah, watch and learn is all I would say. Um and usually that's with a sort of a positive connotation here, maybe more of a negative one, you know, learn from the MLB mistakes. Um, I would also say in terms of Jamal Adams trade, a trade definitely uh, very interesting for both sides, very good for both sides, in my opinion. I definitely want to see, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out in the next few years and what impact Jamal Adams can have on that Seattle defense. Yeah, it's all worth it if they win a Super Bowl, I guess, no matter the impact he has on the team. And I definitely think Seattle is a Super Bowl contender. I just think the Jets, with all the stuff going on with Adams, I thought Adams should not have said any of it. Uh, If I were the Jets GM, Joe Douglas, or anyone in that Jets organization, I would have been furious. I did not think Adams should not have said any of what he said. Look, if he has, he has every right to have a prob or to be annoyed or frustrated with guys like Adam Gase and that entire organization, but I feel like if you're angry, frustrated, or you know anything that's rubbing you the wrong way, you go in, have a one-on-one conversation with an, anyone in management, and you kind of just discuss it in a very professional manner. I just thought what Adams, how Adams got. His message out, I thought, was very unprofessional. I thought it should have been handled privately. So that's kind of what I what I wanted to leave it at the Adams trade. So again, you can find the Game Time Podcast anywhere. But I will also be posting it on my Twitter account. My Twitter account is at RubensonAlex. That's at, and then my last name, Rubinson, and then my first name, Alex. So for Shy Dweck, I'm Alex Rubinson. Thanks for listening to Game Time Podcast, and we'll see you next time.